I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, listeners. This is future editing Keegan coming at you from the pod closet. I just wanted to start this episode out with a bit of a disclaimer that um, the audio quality on this episode is not quite up to our usual standards. Um, It sounds a little tinny, and I'm not exactly sure what happened there. We recorded everything the way that we always do. But I just wanted to forewarn all of you listeners before you begin that we are aware Uh, that the quality isn't quite as good as it usually is. And please bear with us as we uh, work through this moving forward. And I hope you guys enjoy the episode anyway. Bye. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. That being said, we're going to get some shit wrong every once in a while. That's That's right. Yeah. Especially, we've been really busy lately. So tired. And And I just feel like shit today. (laughs) Yeah. So today is Daylight Savings Day, Spring Forward Day. (sighs) And it's just bullshit. Like, I just went off on an entire, like, rant about how bullshit the whole daylight savings thing is it serves no purpose it serves no fucking purpose i just like i feel super hungover like i drank some wine last night but like i shouldn't feel hungover but i woke up this morning at like noon to my dog crying at me and like i woke up and i just felt so disoriented and i know what you mean i know what you mean 
Um, but I have no reason to. Well, I mean, look, man, you don't have to feel super pressured or anything. This is a safe space. This closet is a safe space. But I did buy... So I've been doing like themed wine. Like last I love time, it. this we is had, why I love Kate. <laughs> last time we had liberated wine when we did the first wave, and today we're going to be talking about the second wave of feminism. And I saw this at the grocery store when I bought the wine for the first wave, and I took a picture of it because I was like, "I'm coming back for that." And it's called um, tie dye. It's tie dye red blend, vintage 2013. I'm down. So I am skeptical. Yes, but especially also, because it's vintage 2013. Although me. you got, I, listen, I usually drink wine that's like 2017, 20, like new fresh wines. Yeah. I'm not a snob by any means in no, that regard. True. It's just this weird mental blockage I have with like the word dye being in the title and it being a red wine. It just makes me, is it going to taste like a red dye? No. It's, yeah, but that's the, in my brain. No, they're, they're emulating like a 70s tie-dye vibe. I don't think there's going to be any dye in it. No, I mean, I know that. Logically, <laughs> I know that, but, like, mentally, I have weird mental hang-ups. Like, I was the kid who wouldn't eat the green eggs and ham on green eggs on Dr. Seuss Day in school. Oh, yeah? Because I was just like, like, it's not this- supposed to be green. Why is it green? <laughs> don't you didn't like it. the purple ketchup? Absolutely the fuck Oh, not. I was so mm-hmm. obsessed with that purple ketchup. Shut that shit all the way down. Love I it. was like, to this day, I won't drink that. But no, now we- I wouldn't drink, now I wouldn't eat it. We um, were waiting to try this wine until we started recording, so we are going to give it a shot and let you know what we think. So cheers, okay. Madigan. Clink. Hmm. Um, it's it's standard. Fine. It's a standard red it's blend. It's got kind of like a like a. It's a little a, sweeter than I thought. It's sweeter, but it's also got like a bit of a sourness to it afterwards. Like it's the interesting. Aftertaste is kind of sour. This is one of those red wines that I would probably drink chilled. I'm a weirdo yes. about that. Like, I, I like some of no, my red I wines like, chilled. I like red wine chilled mm-hmm. as well. And I, I think, like most of my wines yeah, cold. I think this is one that I would definitely chill. It tastes like that um, kind of like, but I like the other one better. Kind of tastes like the Apothic Red. Have you ever had that red no, blend? I don't think so. It's really good. It, it kind of tastes like that, but that one's better. But anyway. It's got <laughs> almost kind of like a, like a woody... Earthy, like, earthy understand. I feel like such a wine snob, and I'm the opposite. But like, no. it, it's weird. I'm. I thought I was gonna like it more than I do. It's okay. I bet you it'll grow on you. That's usually how these things work. It's like the first drink, you're like, I don't know. But then by like yeah. half the glass, you're like, woo, it's great. Um, <laughs> keep it coming. Keep it coming. Um. Okay. So. We haven't seen each other in a minute. I know. It's weird. I feel like I it haven't was seen you in ages. So sad. I know. Um, so I'm so glad to have Keegan around. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was like, man, that's so strange. I see Madigan every week, and I was in New Mexico visiting family for a full week, and, um, I've been back for a few days, but we haven't seen each other, so it's like a little reunion of sorts. It is, and it's been a weird, like, week and a half or so for me, too. I got super sick. I went to the hospital. I went to the hospital, and I'm still, like, getting over it. I had a double ear infection, inner and outer ear, which is bizarre, so we're trying to figure out what's up with me. 
Um, and my equilibrium's all off, and it's just, you know, my life is just peak Madigan right now. <laughs> peak Madigan. Yeah, the last thing we needed was fucking daylight saving. I know, right? God. I know, what is wrong? I was like, oh, like, I'm not working tomorrow. I can sleep in. I, it's not going to affect me. And then I woke up, and it totally affected me, and no, I'm it's, not. It's, it's absolute bullshit. I didn't sleep well last night, and then I had to get up at 7, which was actually 6, yeah. to go drive to Rancho Cucamonga to my tax lady. <laughs> Such a fun word. Cucamonga. I know. Ran- Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> Same thing with um, what's the what's the fucking uh, Morongo Resort and Casino? Morongo? No, no, Pachang. Is there Pachanga? Pachanga. Yeah, that's another really fun word. <laughs> Morongo means like blood sausage or something. It's weird. That sounds like a penis to me. Blood sausage? Because <laughs> <laughs> all the blood runs to the penis to make it erect. I never thought of it that way, but gross. Okay. Um, <laughs> So today, we're going to chat about uh, second wave feminism, which I would argue is something that um, most people think of when they think of, like, the feminist movement, like, and feminism, and, like, women's liberation. Because that's actually when the phrase was coined, women's lib, was during the second wave. Yeah. And that's also when a lot of, like, our most famous feminists came to be as well oh yeah or what we think um, of and i think it's, yeah. we also think of it that way because there were other um it, it kind of happened at the same time as other social movements like yeah the civil rights movement the anti-war movement yes and, all of that and just you know the whole uh age of aquarius let the sunshine in yeah. times as well you know so there's so many things going on yeah counterculture yeah there's it was a huge social shift in yeah. the 60s and 70s totally which is bananas sometimes when I like stop to think about it like I I don't know when it was when I first started thinking like the 1950s and the 1960s and 70s are so radically different yeah in such a short short period of time right well I mean the baby boomers and things like that and what I think what started the second wave of feminism a lot of people say is because That's from my favorite murder, and that is my text ringtone. I will turn um, that off. It's so much worse. I know when it goes off when I'm at work. I'm (laughs) sorry, no one understands this reference. But like, so during World War II, all these women were going to work, and what I said is, you can't bring women out into the world where they can communicate with each other and bitch about their lives and not expect a revolution. Well, I mean, and you gave them the freedom to understand what life was like outside of the home, and and they they did the same thing in England, where like actually women built like one of the biggest bridges in London. Yes, and because all the men were at war. Yeah, and. So you're giving them this freedom, and then and then you're basically being like, just oh, kidding, well, yeah. Well, and, and you're using them, like you're like, okay, thanks for everything you did. Now get back in the kitchen, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think that's when people were. That's when they were kind of like, wait, but but we liked this, and this made me feel fulfilled. There's a way for me to do both. Mm-hmm. I want to continue this. But then there was a big social shift because that was in the '40s and World War II. Yeah, and then there was a big social shift and counter movement and I would be interested in looking into how this happened, but there was a big shift counter movement back to the whole, that whole leave it to, leave it to beaver. That's what I keep mm-hmm. calling it. I like yeah. when I think of like the fifties, I think of like the leave it to beaver movement. Yeah. Kind of and that like, being so idolized, but I feel as, like the ideal that was like, yeah, the ideal like nuclear family and mm-hmm. um, two and a half kids in a white picket fence. And yeah, a dog. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, where we see kind of a shift back from the 1950s, um, I see a lot of people attribute Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique as yep. being kind of the turning point for the second wave feminist yeah. movement. Um, a lot of a lot of it also, I think, is from Simone de Beauvoir, who published The Second Sex. That's another one. Oh, yeah. I like that. Because I think that was before. So that was 1949. Right. So you see these small, like, you see these small changes in movements. Mm -hmm. But then in 1963, whenever she published The Feminine Mystique, it it started in 1957. Whenever she conducted a survey with, like, her Her, fellow Smith College um, classmates, women. These were college-educated women who, like, went to college, did all of that. If you've ever seen, like, um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but if you've ever seen Mona Lisa Smile... No, it's I kind, haven't. It's kind of like that, where it's just like, these white women went to college, and basically it was like, what are you even going to college for? Because yeah. you're going, you're getting an education, and then... And then you're going to go right back home and make babies. Yeah, and... basically you're going to college to meet a husband, Yeah, is what you're doing. But she conducted a survey with her fellow classmates at a reunion, and found that many of them were really unhappy with their lives. Mm-hmm. They they didn't want to... They, they, the main line that she says is, there has to be more than this. Yeah. Like, and we, we should have more than this. And so she started a movement. She founded NOW, which is yeah. the National Organization for Women. Yep. Which really was very, very active in the second wave. Yeah. And the book the book really didn't... This is what, what I was looking for. It, it really fundamentally questioned the 50s ideals mm-hmm. uh, for the best interest of women. The whole, you know, what I said, the leave it to beaver myth. Like, you know, that that's what women were happy doing. And I feel like the media and pop culture had a lot to do with that because because of the shows that they were putting out of these, like, nuclear families. It was, mm-hmm. I think, kind of trying to erase uh, what they'd started with, you know, Rosie the Riveter and uh, women mm-hmm. getting jobs. They were trying to show, like, look... You're educated, but you can still be happy right, doing this, Look how happy too. they are. Yeah. yeah. Look how happy these look families are. Look at this are. perfect, perfect family. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot. It's like Pleasantville. I, I'm just yeah. going to throw out references to movies this entire time. Let's do it. This entire Let's time. do it. Um, where, you know, th- it was this false reality. Yeah. That they were trying to sell you on this dream, this American yeah. dream. And I think a lot of women bought into it. And yeah. they, I watched a documentary, which you should totally watch. Everyone should watch it. Um, it's on Netflix. It's called She's Beautiful When She's Angry. Ooh. And it's all about the second wave. And they talk about they talk about how, like, they weren't only facing... It, it was an uphill battle because they weren't only facing the perceptions of men, but also the perceptions that women had about, like, well, I'm happy. And we see it today, even with, yeah. like, well, the women's Yeah, well, I'm happy being home. And- yeah, I don't really see what they're, what they're marching for. I don't understand yeah. what their problems are. But you have to understand that this is also a time when women couldn't get credit cards. Women couldn't yeah. get mortgages. Once you got married, you were your husband's property, yeah. essentially. Like, you couldn't get these things on your own. Yeah. And they probably had to um, tell themselves that that was ideal a lot to convince themselves that yeah. that, that was okay. Um, I was really interested in reading a little bit about Simone de Beauvoir's Second Sex, uh, where she has a quote that says, One is not born, but rather becomes a woman. Oh, yeah. That's a real famous quote. Yeah. This quote represented how society fosters the idea of what a woman should do and act where gender roles are learned and forced upon women. Um, Which is crazy that she had that idea at that time. In 1949. Yeah. And that's something that we're still very much learning today. Or that sex is, is... a largely, like, social construction. Like, it gender really is, gender. yeah. And oh, I... sorry, gender is, gender, not sex. 
reverse that. Take what yes. I said. Reverse I, got, it. <laughs> I got you. I know what you were going for. The book questioned then why women's roles that they saw them as secondary to men in the workplace and home be perpetuated when this was clearly not the case during the war. So kind of around the same um, same kind of boat as the feminine mystique. She mm-hmm. was, you know, talking to a lot of women as to why they were suddenly okay with being secondary to men again instead of fighting to be more a part of the economy and the world like they were during the war. I find that super, super fascinating. Like, I would really love to read up on that. Like, read up on how that happened. How did that happen? Like, how did women reconcile between working every day? Yeah. And maybe some of them didn't want to. Maybe some of them wanted to go back home. I don't know. But, like... I'm going to ask my mom, because my mom was born in 51. So I bet she has knowledge about, like my grandma mm-hmm, and yeah, that, exactly. that kind of I'll have to ask her about that and see if she what her input of that is. I realize I've mentioned my mom every good episode. I think that's good. I know. People are just like, she sent your mom. I totally Whatever. We should post a pic. You know what we should do? What? I've seen that picture of Liz from like the sixties and we should put in it- her bikini. I yes, I've seen that one. I was talking about the one with the really big hair. Oh yeah, her se- it's her um senior picture we should put that on our instagram story that's a great when we put this episode photo her her 60s yellow bikini for me is like peak liz Haggerty. hey man it's our instagram we can post whatever we we can post what we want (laughs) um all good things um so once this movement started and now was formed and they were forming this movement a big thing that they were really coming up against is or that they kind of championed was employment discrimination because they mention in the documentary they talk about how and i didn't know this that like when you looked at help wanted ads it would actually say like help wanted male help wanted female and it was such an obvious way that they were keeping women, yeah. you know, oppressed because it was like help wanted male were all of the high paying jobs, all yeah. of the, you know, the better jobs and yep. help wanted female. They oftentimes would put things in there that were like, they want an attractive, busty secretary yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Um, well, you know, the books and politics around the sixties, uh, led to some, you know, kind of initial victories for, uh, the second wave movement when you were talking about now. And then their first great legislative victory was the passage of the Equal Pay Act in 1963, mm-hmm. uh, which has made law for women to have an equal right to equal pay for the same jobs that men did. And I had to look that up because I was like, well, there's still a wage gap. I know. Um, that's but because the thing is, it says they have the right to... Or wait, made it all for women to have an equal right to equal pay so they could, like, say something about it, basically. Mm-hmm. They had the right to speak up to have it changed. Right. But they weren't given equal pay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Because that's something for me that I was kind of like, well, no, that's fuckery. Um, well, I mean, it it's still fuckery because basically what it's saying is, like... You have the right to challenge it. Right. But, but it's not going to fucking work. And if, <laughs> even if it does, you're going to... I mean, we see this going... And this is jumping ahead a little bit to next week. But we see this in the third wave when we look yeah. at Anita Hill. It's like, yeah, you can say something. Mm-hmm. But you're going to face so much scrutiny. So much discrimination. Yeah. You could lose your job. You could lose your livelihood. You could... You know, like... So... It's great that that was pushed through and that we were finally able to recognize that, you know, this is ridiculous. Like, discrimination is discrimination, and you shouldn't expect this, but at the same time. Yeah. Have you ever seen the PSA of Batgirl? 
No. Oh, the wage gap from 1973? No, but it's, I love it. Oh, it's so great. I love I it already. This is like, here, we can cut this out if we want to, but I'll play mm-hmm. it through my, through my phone. Uh, can I do this? High noon in Gotham City. A deserted warehouse on the outskirts of town. And a ticking bomb spells trouble for Batman and Robin. That's amazing. Yeah. when I was looking up the Equal Pay Act and I was like, holy that is, shit. Uh, that is amazing. Isn't that the best thing yes. you've ever seen? Yes, truly. Like, it's no joke, Batman. Oh my God. <laughs> I just also love like, holy act of Congress. <laughs> holy breaking an enemy. Fucking <laughs> amazing. So good. I hope y'all enjoyed that because that made my morning. And you know what? We're leaving it in because it's not like we make money doing this anyway. Right? Like, so uh, I think you only have to I don't know. I shouldn't say these things. Because I don't know. I, Just keep talking. We're going to get sued. It's all good. Um, we don't have any money. Go ahead and sue us. You're yeah, not going to get what, much. What are you going to say? <laughs> um, so then something else that I found was interesting, which I just want to touch on very briefly, but I love seeing how the women's rights movement, it both in the first wave and the second wave, sprang out of women's involvement in other movements. It sprang mm-hmm. out of women's involvement in the anti-war movement and yeah. women's involvement in the civil rights movement. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that you see a lot in all of the waves because, like, a lot of the feminists in the first wave were abolitionists. Mm-hmm, exactly. And it kind of grew from there. Yeah, it's and kind of like they're, you know, women are here doing the labor, and then we're yeah. like, hey, what about our own movements? Yeah. And something that was touched on in this documentary was the misogyny in both the anti-war movement and in the black liberation movement. Uh-huh. And in the anti as far as the anti-war movement goes, this I found to be incredibly disturbing and I have the woman talking about it on here and I read an article uh, by a man named Tom Gardner who wrote a piece for a voicemail magazine and it's a men's apology for sexism in the 60s anti-war movement. Ooh. And it sprang out of watching this documentary. Because he was at these events, but he wasn't at this particular event where a feminist named, uh, or female rights activist named Marilyn Webb, who was also an anti-war activist, um, she got on stage, she was 26, to around our age, and she got on stage and she was giving a speech, and she was basically announcing that women have decided to form their own movement. Mm Mm-hmm. And because they were in the anti-war movement, but they weren't being given positions of leadership in the anti-war movement. They were being used as, like, free labor to lick the envelopes and things like that. And these men in the crowd, they actually started, like, 
a riot. These are progressive men in the anti-war movement. Like, these are liberal yeah. men. And they were saying things like, take her off the stage and fuck her. <gasps> yeah. Like, they were fucking, like, throwing things, starting to the point where uh, an art organizer, Dave Dillinger, told her and another woman's speaker, Shuli Firestone, to leave the stage because they were causing a riot. Because okay. the crowd was going insane. Do you ever, like, have this thing where, like... You hear things like "get her off the stage and fuck her," and your like Kegel muscles immediately like close. Oh, yes, it happens to me every time. It just happened hardcore. I was like, ah! and for me, it's just like so it shut, so it shut. For me, I feel it in my chest. Yes, because like, I, I feel this fucking rage. Like, no, I feel like, it in my vagina every time. These are supposed <laughs> to be your brothers. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like these are supposed to be your brothers, and you've been there walking side by side with them, and. It should be said, women in the anti-war movement, we were standing, we, as if I was there, but women were standing in support of men who were being drafted. Exactly. Like, we weren't being drafted. No. Men weren't being drafted. So yeah. they're there doing we were the supporting fucking, you. Yeah, yeah. Doing the emotional labor for you. Yeah. And you can't turn around and stand side by side. So this guy actually wrote a um, piece called Apologia. And it's really but good. He, he wasn't there. He just like he was at was there this, during that time because it was at an anti Nixon inaugural protest. Got it. And he was. They had a bunch of events, and he was there for some of the events, but he wasn't at this particular event. Okay. But he did write a piece that is so good. I won't read it because it's kind of long, but um, I'll put it on our Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Um, because it's really powerful, and it's basically like saying we're like. I'm sorry, like, as an anti-war movement man from the 1960s, that I, yeah. you know, that that we did this to you. Yeah, that's um, great. I mean, yeah. too little too late, but still, I think that's great. Yeah, um, I mean, and he had a really good, ex- he he emailed Marilyn Webb, and they had a really good, like, That's exchange. amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, also in 1961, 50,000 women in 60 cities mobilized the Women's Strike for Peace, mm. uh, which mm-hmm. protested above-ground testing of nuclear bombs and tainted milk, which I found interesting. I wanted to mention that. I don't know why I didn't think Yeah, that. they pushed the power of concerned mother to the forefront of, the Amer- of American politics, transforming the mother from a passive victim of war to active fighter for peace. Mama bears. Mama bears. And, you know, around the same time, um, President Kennedy made women's rights a key issue for the new frontier and named women such as yes. Esther Peterson to many high-ranking posts yes. in, his, in his administration. And also kind of speaking under politics, Carol Hanisch published an essay in 1970, so a few years later, called The Personal is Political. Yes! And she argued... Yeah, and she argued that everything was political, including the division of household labor, gender roles, and other day-to-day activities, which really, like, that's something that I'm that I really want to read more about and read the essay um, because I feel like that's something that people always say to me. Like, why do you always have to make things political? Yes, I wanted to bring it up for that reason. Is because... People don't understand when they're like, why Why do we have to be talking about politics? Why do we have to be talking about politics? It's just a because movie. Or it's just that it's like, no, it's but our, everything it's, is political. And it's our lives. Like, yeah. it is part of our day-to-day lives. It affects us. Yeah. Politics affect people personally. Policies affect yeah. people personally. And so it's important to talk about it that way and to look at it that yeah. way. Yeah, well, and then people always say, you know, don't talk about politics or religion. And it's like, well, if you boil it down to it, I feel like a religious person would say that everything they do has to do with their religion. And I feel that a yeah. person like us would say that everything we do comes down to the politics and our beliefs. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. It's, it's such a, um insincere thing for someone to try and say that mm-hmm. because... 
when it comes down to it, everything has to do with your worldview. Mm-hmm. You run everything through your worldview. It's a lens, you know, with which you run everything it's through. A moral, it's a moral foreground in your mind. So why would it not be important to me? Yeah. Oh, and I love it. Like, that was something in college that I really started to kind of break down uh, with discussions in class is, like, bringing up things that you're not supposed to talk about. Like, you're not supposed to bring up abortion. Well, why not? Why not have that conversation and be Mm -hmm. open to somebody else's opinion and share your opinion and be okay with differences to learn more? And it's such a nuanced issue, and I feel like we, like that one in particular, and I feel like we have been really conditioned to think of it as murder or not murder. You exactly. know what I mean? And and I, and that and it, that really leads us into this whole thing with yeah. the, in the in the second movement that was actually a rallying cry that yeah. brought a lot of groups together because women would start meeting and then they'd start talking because it was the free love era, right? So you're allowed to sleep with whoever you want. Yeah. But if you get pregnant, the onus is on the woman. Yeah. Like you're then it's on you, sorry. Yeah. You know, well, and that's when birth control pills were started, um, was in the sixties. I wrote that down too. Where did it go? God, my notes are all. No, mine are all over the place. Well, then also we start talking about things and we like jump around. Okay. In in 1960, the food and drug administration approved the combined oral contraceptive pill and was made available in 61. It made it easier for women to have careers because they didn't have to worry about unexpected pregnancy. Oh, and you know what? This leads me to something else. I know we're all over the place. Go for it. But, um, it does lead me back to sexism within the black liberation movement. Yeah. Because black men did not want women, people in like the black liberation movement did not want their black women to be on birth control. They thought it was genocide. Um, they thought that women should be having babies to further the cause and, and things like that. And I mean, um, that's very much like a, a way that the Catholic church, I feel like still thinks of birth control where it's like, they believe that, a birth control pill would be in the same lines as abortion. But there is no baby. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. It's like, we're, like there, there's... You can't even use that argument. Yeah. Because you're just preventing something from happening. I don't know. It, to me, that, that doesn't make any sense. No, it sense. doesn't make any sense to me either. Um, But... And here's the thing that... You know, I was raised very... In a, in a really Christian household. And, like, for me personally, would I get an abortion? I don't think so. But something that kind of opened my eyes and changed the conversation and I think changed the conversation for a lot of people was listening to the stories of women who had unwanted pregnancies and had you know and and had them terminated in the time before abortion was legal and how horrifying it was and I can't remember the statistic but it was like a significant number of women who like a huge percentage of women who went in to get abortions in, you know, the pre-legalization of it died from complications. Yeah. Or had lifelong issues from from it. Yeah. There was a BuzzFeed, I think it was BuzzFeed, something where it was like women who were talking about their abortion experiences. Uh-huh. And it was horrifying. If I can find it, yeah. I'll put it on our on our Instagram. Oh but. yeah. And it's um and the pill when it started was really like risky. My I mean I've fully believe so I'm an only child my mom had me when she was 41 years old Mm -hmm. my mom went on birth control probably in like the late 60s and it was so like 
potent that like if you wanted to get pregnant you had to be off the pill for a while like they tried to have a baby for like probably close to 10 years if I remember so it wasn't correctly. like super safe no it was super potent it was like it, it really was like this very intense medicine that was blocking you from having kids mm-hmm. it was like we're gonna make this the most effective so we're like, gonna throw everything but the kitchen sink in there I so it took it, it took like 10 years to get out of her system entirely she I couldn't have babies it's so interesting i can't remember who it was in this documentary it was talking about birth control and saying um a woman's reproductive system is so delicate and complex and vital to the species yeah why are we fucking with it in this way whenever we what we should really be doing is finding a pill that men can take <laughs> For because real. their reproductive systems are far less complicated yeah and you know well and that's something that I feel like we should just have a whole episode on birth control because we will. Speaking, for sure. speaking of that, like I can't take the pill. Mm-hmm. I've tried the pill, NuvaRing, IUD. I've tried everything, Your and body my body rejects, rejects it. all of it. So, like, I don't really have like a preferred method of birth control because my my lovely lady bits are so sensitive. To right, everything. there should be an alternative. There should be a pill that men can take that yeah. that does a similar thing. You yeah. know what I mean? Um. I already told Anthony, I'm like, look, man, if we end up, like, getting married, having kids, and then deciding that one of us should have a procedure done, then um, I'm not getting my tubes tied. No, because that's it's a, invasive. It's invasive. It's a, it's an actual surgery. They have to cut you open. Yeah. I'm like, you, if you can go in and out. It's now patient procedure. <laughs> yep. Sorry. I know, like, a lot of men have issues with that because, I don't know, it's, it's threatening like to my man. masculinity. Yeah, it, like, threatens their manhood in some way, and I'm like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I have to tell you. Get the fuck over it. Unless I'm having a C-section and they're in there anyway, yeah. I'm not going in to have my, to be cut open. Did you hear inside. that Lena Dunham decided to get a hysterectomy? What? Really? Yeah. But the thing is, is that it doesn't really make any sense because she has endometriosis. Oh. And so she was so sick of it that she got a hysterectomy. But they're saying that it really doesn't completely guarantee the pain really? to go away. Because that's what my cousin was going to do. She has had endometriosis and it has caused her pregnancies to be incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Well, She's that's something again that, right now. That's but. something that I need to, I was supposed to, cause I have cysts right now and they're, they make my period incredibly painful and just my day to day life. Sometimes I'll get like little shocks of pain mm-hmm. and I was supposed to get an ultrasound like over a year ago and get tested for endometriosis. And I never did cause I'm horrible. I, I at doing thought those I things. had it. I thought I had it growing up because my periods were so bad. They're still really bad. Yeah. Like, um, I missed a day of work last week. Yeah. It, like, just it was can't. so bad. Yeah. Um, but I thought I had endometriosis. I don't think I do, but my cousin does and hers are bad. And she got pregnant again before she could get a hysterectomy, but that's what she was going to do. She was going to get a hysterectomy. Yeah. But there was saying something about how like it really, like it could help, but it doesn't necessarily. Oh my God. That's horrifying. That, that it will get rid of it. Um, yeah, there's, like, does a hysterectomy cure endometriosis? Lena and Halsey's story, the Center for Innovative Gyno Care. Um, and then there's Teen Vogue said why having a hysterectomy to end endometriosis might not work. That's because there's a lot of, because there's, because it, it grows like a certain that makes me so sad whatever in some other part. Oh, yeah, endometriosis is such a, yeah, it could help. 
but it yeah. doesn't but it doesn't but imagine because going it's through well because all that shit is attaching to like other your uterine wall, wall or whatever to the uterine wall but then it's, it's also in other areas as well so i feel like it's still it'll still attach in certain places i don't know i read it a while ago and my short-term memory is horrible so i don't remember but that that's honestly is so devastating to me because going through a hysterectomy has got to be such an emotionally difficult experience oh yeah and it's such again an invasive procedure and that's got to be pretty painful too yeah um, the recovery is probably terrible yeah so to say we that it have may a not work episode on this no we do we'll get back to we'll get back to the second wave what were we um okay, okay well here i've got a good um, yeah go. got a good transition do here. it so we were talking about the black liberation movement and yes. their opposition to um uh, birth control. Yeah. Another side of that, so we can kind of get into. Um, you'll you'll see throughout this series, throughout the munch of, munch, 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 throughout the month of March, um, <laughs> that the intersectionality does increase. Yep. But I thought it was. But interesting. it's always a struggle. It is a struggle. But I thought it was interesting. There was a woman uh, who was it, Linda Burnham, who was a black woman, and she was discussing how she, they went to a black or they went to a women's liberation rally uh-huh. and somebody on the stage said, I want all of the black women in the crowd. Cause it's mostly white women, mm-hmm. white middle class women to raise their hand. And so they all raised their hand and they said, go under that tree over there and talk. And mm-hmm. so they went over and they, they communicated and, um, they started the black sisters United. Uh-huh. And she said something that I thought was incredibly, um, powerful. She said, it was very difficult for middle-class white women to have any conception about what was going on in communities of color. And those differences could have been in conversation with each other. But if there isn't even an acknowledgement that there are differences in experience and perspective and the voice of one is used for the voice of all, then you have a problem. Yeah. And that's basically what intersectionality is talking about. Yeah. And then someone else uh, said, and this I think I've mentioned before, was the first thing that I really heard that really resonated with me as far as like, this is a simple way to explain to people why intersectionality is important. Um, and I can't remember. It wasn't Linda Burnham who said this. It was someone else, but she said, um, women who have spent their lives working in other women's kitchens have a different kind of handicap than women who have been oppressed for their sex in other ways. Yeah. Because, and there's huge critiques. Bell Hooks wrote, um, who's a famous black author, female author, um, and she wrote a critique of the feminine mystique because... It's all white. <laughs> it's all white, middle-class, middle class. college-educated. Yeah. And you, she didn't... And I would read that, but it's too long. But she basically says, like, you're asking these white, middle-class, college-educated women... Um, don't you want to get out of the house? Don't you want to um, go start your career? Yeah. Without acknowledging who's going to come in and take, and take care, care of your of household. Kids. And you're going to yeah. hire a black woman, a Latina woman, to come uh-huh. in and do that for you. Yep. So you're oppressing other women Dude, in your freedom. that still happens today. Mm-hmm. That's what's bonkers. Like, being a nanny... Guys, I got a new job, by the way. I'm not as Um, I've been nannying for a super fucking long time. And that's something that I've seen in every single household that I've been in. There's usually been, like, me and then another nanny, and it's usually a person of color, Mm -hmm. and then, because we're in L.A., it's usually a Latino woman, but, I mean, I think it's great, because, like, a lot of them, like, that's what they really do want to do, and they're, you know, loving, and that's what they, you know, and and that's that's their choice. I think that that's great, but I also think that, like, 
you again, it's what she said where you're making this movement yeah. for one particular type of woman. Yeah, and you're excluding exactly. all other kinds of women because there are women of color who well, would also like to get out of that poverty level. Exactly. Well, you know? and the other thing too is that like I've always not that all had nannies are in the people, poverty level. Right. But I've also seen a lot of people think of nannying as not a job, but as just basically taking over for the mother and Mm -hmm. basically just taking over for those housewife duties. And in a way, yes, that's what we're doing is we're, we are an extension of the parents and we come in and work with your kids, but it's still very much a job. I am doing this to make money and to have, you know, to make money and also have time to do other things and things like that. And so instead of looking at it in this day and age as just something that's like, lesser than like that's something like I shouldn't feel like lesser because I'm not working in an office no. or an important you know what uh, I mean? in fact I would argue look man I work at an office and while sorry if my boss is listening um while I am very grateful for my job and I will forever say that I'm super grateful for my job it is soul sucking mm-hmm. I don't want to be sitting at an office all day every day you know it is not my passion it is yeah. not what I what I want to be doing so right. I don't think people should pass judgments in that way like yeah, on other there, people there are but there are a lot of jobs out there where people like see it as being less than a certain thing mm-hmm. and so I mean that's kind of well, more in today's I mean, day and age and yeah. that in that time it really was kind of like a well, these are the only people that are going to do those jobs. So let's well, bring them I mean, in. <clears throat> you see it today in a different way. I mean, Kelly Osborne. do you remember that whole thing? Whenever uh, Trump was campaigning and he said something about Mexicans um, and Kelly Osborne was on The View or whatever show she was on. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, who are gonna, who's going to clean your toilets, Mr. Trump? If you yep, if you get rid of all the Mexicans, and I was just yeah. like, do you not understand that what you just said is super, super fucking problematic? Super problematic. It's this weird mindset where that's what we think of. That's the default. Yep. The default is we've got Latinos and Black people who mostly, are the maids, or who are the, the maids, the yeah. housekeepers, the you know, yeah. And it's an extension of um, for Black people, it's it's totally an extension of that that mammy stereotype mm-hmm. coming out of slavery. And, um, you know, it's messed up. And so I guess if we're going to start talking about critiquing Betty Friedan, um, we can talk a little bit about the Lavender Menace. <laughs> do you know about that? I do, but I didn't write anything down about it. So basically, and I think it was mostly Rita Mae Brown. Is it Rita Mae Brown? Is that her name? Yes. She basically was like, uh, she's a lesbian women's rights activist. And they had really no presence yeah, in, in now. No, and even though they were members of now, all, yeah. there were a lot of lesbian. But there members. probably wasn't a whole lot of gay conversation. Going there was on. none. Yeah, and so she was basically like, "Look, man, we need to start bringing this into the conversation." Yeah, and Betty Friedan. First of all, there's a lot of homophobic shit in um, the feminine mystique yeah. towards gay males. But then when she came forward and was like, "Hey, Betty, we need to have this conversation because there's a lot of feminist." lesbians here yeah and betty friedan basically shut it down and she said and i don't even know what this means but she said it's a lavender menace and we can't have it we can't have it it's a lavender it's like a lavender menace and we can't have it i don't even know what that means but she basically gave them it seems very lavender is like pastel not harsh I guess maybe, yeah, maybe that's what she means. It's like a, it's like a, like a pleasant problem. 
Like, or, or like a subtle problem, like something that's kind of yeah. like under the surface. I don't know what it means. It's a, she said, what was the whole quote? It, it's a lavender menace. And, and we, we can't have it, basically. Like, she was just like, we can't talk about these things. Maybe because it wasn't like, well, maybe she, because she just found it, she was saying this is, that's less important. We need to focus on what she thought was important. That is definitely part of what it was. And then it was also like, she had this argument of like, this is what men call us anyway. Anyone who's a feminist is a dyke. So we need to not address yeah, bring, it. Yeah, bring attention to it because mm-hmm. then, yeah. Because then you're reinforcing their stereotypes of, of us and, um, Basically, like, it's too much too soon. Too much too soon. We need to not talk about it. And so Rita Mae Brown wouldn't shut up about it. And they kicked her out. They kicked her out of now. They were like, get out of here. (sighs) Um, So in May of 1970, the second Congress to Unite Women happened. And there were no conversations about homophobia or lesbian feminists on the, um, you know, being had. No conversations about lesbian issues. So lesbian groups showed up, and they acted like they were just part of the crowd, right? They came in, they were with their fellow feminists, they sat down, and then they knew somebody who ran the light booth. And so basically, they had that guy turn the lights off, then all of them got up and formed a circle around their fellow feminists, took off their jackets, and they were wearing shirts that said Lavender Menace on it, (gasps) and started screaming at their, their, like, fellow other women. That's so cool. Yeah, it was super, super cool. I I want a shirt that says that even though I'm not gay. And uh, they stormed the stage and demanded that issues of lesbianism be added to the agenda, and they were. So that's how you get shit done. Love it. (laughs) Okay, no, that's actually awesome because, um, okay, so I'm doing a short film with my friend, and I'm playing a lesbian for the hundredth time because that's my typecast. (laughs) If I had a fucking nickel for how many times I've played a lesbian, I'd be rich. Why? (laughs) I don't know. Well, when I had a pixie cut, I think it was because of the haircut. But even before then and since, I play lesbians a lot. Um, and now it comes naturally because I've done a lot of them. <laughs> you got practice. Oh, so I'm in this short film where I'm playing a lesbian and I'm breaking up with my boyfriend because I've discovered that I'm gay and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, God, I want to like take, like turn around at the end of the scene and have like a shirt on that says something that like only lesbians would understand. You should have a lavender manish. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I should find That is. That I is... film in a week though. I don't know if I'm going to be able to Make find one. That. Yeah. Make one. Go to Michael's and Iron On. Because a lot of people may not like it, like, or not like it. They, a lot of people probably wouldn't know what it, what it was, but the people who do would probably people, think it's yeah, cool. Yeah, people who do know, do know. You yeah. Know, like, they're who matters anyway. And you might encourage someone to Google it. Yeah. So. No, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask my friend who's directing it. I'm going to be like, can I wear a Lavender Menace shirt? Speaking of t-shirts that I want to make, so I definitely want um, a personalist political t-shirt. Yeah. And then I also want, there was, so this woman... Um, okay, so let me start at the beginning. There was a woman, I guess, in New York who had these like crazy proportions. Like she was like 42, 25, 35 or something. Like she wow. had like, huge boobs. 26, and... 25, 36. <laughs> <laughs> Only if she's 5'3. Um, but they showed up. Like, men would show up at the... They knew when her schedule was, when she was, like, going to work. What? So they would show up at the train station to, like, catcall and, like, yell things at this poor woman. Fun. Like, just trying to go to work. Oh, fun. And so this other woman scheduled or, or created what she called the first national Ogolin. 
which was basically like they she got a group of women together and they went they went walking down the street basically catcalling men love and it being like oh his legs are so you look so good in those pants or like you know bend like, over baby mm-hmm. look at that tush yeah yeah but that's what she was doing yeah. she was just like this we're tired of being sexual objects and yeah. we're gonna do this and there was a woman there who had a t-shirt that said stare at your own damn tits <laughs> and I'm like I love that I saw I want one that says that. <laughs> Stare at your own damn tits. Oh, I wore a shirt last night that, so I have a white shirt and I literally just outlined my boobs with um, a pencil and then I took like a, a compass that makes mm-hmm. like half circles and made my boobs and then just on my nipples drew little dots and I wear the shirt all the time so I think it's super funny. And I went over to my friend's house for a party last night and everyone was just super stoned and drunk and like all the guys you could see as they were talking there, they were like, they would go down and then they'd go up. You're like, hey, hey, eyes are up here. <laughs> it was really funny. Oh, I mean, I'm wearing the shirt like that. Like, you're going to notice it. Yeah. You're going to say So, like, I wasn't like, what the fuck? You no, know I, I mean? wouldn't it's be just, mad about it either. No, it's like, you're drawing it was kind of, It was kind of funny to me, though. I was just like. Because like I think if they weren't so drunk that they probably would have been trying harder, but it was just like, uh, uh, uh. oh my god, <laughs> it was funny. <sighs> um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about pop culture. All right, let's do it. So second waivers viewed pop culture as sexist and created their own pop culture to counteract this. And a really big um, song was Helen Reddy's I Am Woman. Woman. And like a bunch of radios like refused to play it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, they were like not happy about it and women became obsessed with it all over the world and started calling into radio stations to request playing it and they requested it so much that they kind of had to. And she instantly became, you know, this poster girl feminist icon and that song today i think i think she even sang it at some like some major event because it was like whatever year it came out it was deemed like the song of the year yeah that year yeah oh my god i saw this horrible short film at my old school where basically it was about these like five women who were sex slaves being held in this guy's house and then they like find a way to get out and then at the end they're all like walking down the street and it's no. they played the entire no. song I Am Woman uh. through the credits and the guy who was the director was a like really misogynist porn star of course of- ooh yeah Wait, he I think I porn- know who it was he wore a ponytail <gasps> Ponytail? Okay. Do you know right. ponytail? Yes. yes. Okay. okay. All right. He used Sorry. to call me all the time and leave yeah. me voice and be like, hey, girl, I saw you Story today. Time. You seem super mm-hmm. sad. First week at school, first week there, um, I was 20, 20, and a guy, that guy came yeah. up to me. And asked me, he's like, I'm a filmmaker, and can I have your phone? And I'm naive, so I'm like, I did the same thing. I gave him my phone number, too. And I was 18. He kept calling me about, like, I'm going to have, like, would you be interested in, in, like, it's going to be really classy, but, like, we're going to have, like, strippers, and, but don't worry, like, we won't do anything that makes you uncomfortable. And I was like, absolutely not. Like, yeah. So if anyone is wondering, that is what life is like as a woman in film school. Oh, yeah. Because you get asked to do things like that all, all the, the time. time. And, and cool I've played, that's your okay, jam. I've played a lesbian a lot just as many times as I've played a prostitute. Look, and, like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no. nothing wrong with playing a sex worker, but it is appalling the number of men who write... It's always men. It's always yeah. men. And the number of men who write that into their scripts 
unnecessarily yeah is in or random or random makeout scenes or random insinuated sex scenes or or how many times have I killed myself or you're topless you're topless for no reason like that happens all the time too like you're in a hot tub and you take your top off it's like (laughs) why I'm not doing that Yeah, he did one, he did a film too that my classmate had to be in because we were like assigned filmmakers. And it was basically about girls coming in and out of a porta potty hooking up with a guy. And Dude. like was wasn't he known for like peeing on girls in porn too? Oh, I don't know. I, I know he was. I knew he was in porn, but I never I never No, a couple guys in my class recognized him and I'm pretty sure he was like the golden shower guy. I think we're still friends on Facebook. So Fun. Let's look him up. Hey to you if we'll you're listening to this. <laughs> so like, anyways, we keep going off track. Yeah, we were we told each other today that we weren't gonna do this yeah i, I mean it's good stuff um in 1973 a group of women started olivia records a women's owned and operated record company and i thought that was pretty neat yeah that's super neat they realized that like a lot of companies weren't hiring um female artists they were mm-hmm. focusing more on male artists and so they were like we're if you don't do want us we're gonna do it ourselves do it yourself yeah yeah a, the diy Record company. Well, I mean, like, well, that's isn't that what they always say? They're just like, if you want the job done right, do it yourself. yourself. And and you know what? Going back to gosh, this is a um, school heavy episode, but going back to when we were in school, I remember very distinctly. I remember being in class. It was one of my favorite um, scene study teachers, and she said, "I want all the women in this classroom to look around the room at all the men in this classroom. They will all get work before you." Like, that's what she said. And she said, women specifically, you need to start producing your own things, start writing things for yourself. And it sucks that that's how it has to be. But it's true. But it's also empowering because if you let men write things for you, you're going to be doing things like playing prostitutes and getting topless in hot tubs. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying, and right now I'm not saying all men do that. I'm not saying And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with playing a a prostitute or a Or getting topless in a hot tub. But but can we get some variety, people? Yeah, yeah. Can we do something that's realistic? What's my motive for taking my top off in the hot tub? If you give me a legit reason, uh, sure. Yeah, can you do something that's realistic to the female experience? Like, for real, for real, you know? For real, for real, for real. Um, Okay, sorry, continue. All right, well, I mean, that's... (laughs) I don't really know for that, but I think there's a lot of, like, I feel like next week for the third wave, there'll be a lot of pop culture stuff. I feel oh, like the yeah. 90s, like, it's mostly girl groups yeah, and yeah. girl musicians. Riot Girl. Were, we're going, in, we're going deep into Riot Girl next but week. But that's kind of where I feel like a lot of it started was with Olivia Records and with um, Helen Reddy and her song. Right, just kind of taking ownership of your own shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I have a couple other things on here. Okay, I think we should too. touch kind of briefly on the on the Miss America protest. Do it. That happened in 1969. Love it. So basically, women showed up to Miss America 1969, and they were trying to challenge these beauty norms mm-hmm. or like this idea that women have to be this particular way and they they had picketed and they had signs that said all women are beautiful yeah you know and we shouldn't be categorizing it in this way yeah and also they were challenging how racist yeah miss america was it was just like it was all white women mm-hmm. um with a very particular body type and they had like famously they had those signs that um had like a naked woman's body where like they had cut out like 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 cuts of meat like mm. rump like mm-hmm. bre- you know like they'd cut her up like a um like, like a cow, a cow. <laughs> and one thing that they did that was was huge was they someone when they were getting ready to crown Miss America in the crowd 
unfurled this giant banner that said women's liberation on it Mm -hmm. and it was kind of and it was on like live tv Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like the first time a greater audience got to see the words like women's liberation yeah and like what that meant so that was that's really cool to me yeah super cool and i think that you know there's again there that's a whole topic we could probably go really far into with the whole beauty industry of um, Talking about pageants is something we should probably. Do oh, for real, time. yeah. I Not agree. putting down anyone who participates. In no, pageants. and I think there's, a, but I think that's uh, that a lot of people are starting to make it a feminist ownership type activity. There are a lot of people that right. are still very stuck in an old school way about it, um, and it can be very harmful for well, body see, image and things like that. Did you see those women in? I don't know if it was Venezuela. I want to say it was Venezuela, but at, like a uh, one, and I'll sure I'll do a corrections on this next week. Um, it was at one of those where they did the women when they went up to give their their stat. Like they they, they yeah. just have to come up and be like, I'm, you know, 32, 25, 34, like their measurements. Yeah. Instead they got up and they said, I'm so and so and 32% of women are Yes, I saw by, this. Mm-hmm, and, like they would give get up and give a stat about yeah. like about women who were being like murdered or abused or yeah. whatever. And I think that that's such an incredible platform. I have nothing against pageants. I just think that they need to evolve. Yeah. It needs to not be all about like and they have evolved in fairness. They have evolved. We yeah. do try and talk to women about more about like their intellect and things like that, but Yeah. They could evolve further. They for could. Sure. Of course. Just as everything, you always have to be growing and changing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, during the second wave, there was a really big divide between feminists. There were kind of two spheres, um, the radical versus the equal yes. rights feminists. Yes. The equal rights feminist objective saw equality with men in political and social spheres. The equal rights feminists were largely white, older in age, mm-hmm. and most came from affluent backgrounds, where radical feminism wanted more radical change to society, which they saw as patriarchal and needed to be altered for women to escape oppression. Radical feminists were made up of younger white affluent women mm-hmm. and minority women of all ages who were active in civil rights movement as well. So it was typically the younger still probably majority white but had some minority women right so you're talking about the betty Friedans, yes who were the equal rights feminists essentially Uh which you could equate now to white feminism yes white feminists to radical feminists which we can talk next week or the week after about how radical feminism has evolved and is problematic um but then you also have like radical feminists on the other hand of that who are more about social change inclusivity things like that yeah yeah i think at the time i probably would have been more in the radical feminist oh me too for sure it's definitely evolved and we'll talk about the ways in which people who identify as radical feminists now um there's a lot of transphobia in radical feminism now which is a problem but at the time of the two, you and I would probably be in a radical yeah. feminist yeah. group. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to touch on just, like, two... I've got two more things here. You do two more things, and then I have my list of, of prominent feminists. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Okay, so one other thing that I wanted to talk about during the second wave was sexual uh, erotic liberation. Uh-huh. So the idea... So our bodies ourselves came out yep. during that time, and it was a, really about, like... People had no, we talked about this in another episode, people had no idea that, like, women wanted 
pleasure from sex yeah. and that they weren't getting it. Did you know that still boggles people's minds? Yeah, have we watched, had this conversation. Have you watched Bob's Big Mouth? Burgers? Oh, Big, you, you talked about Big this Mouth, in yeah. the past episode. Where he's, like, he's reading a book and the sister is like, it's because it makes us horny, doofus. And he's like, what? His head explodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, um, and basically there was a whole movement of women demanding sexual satisfaction from their partners just like look man we get you off and we're not enjoying ourselves like 90 percent of the time this is why we masturbate right because you have no idea like you just get in there and you just bam 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 and then we're fucking done wouldn't it be great if it was that simple for us yeah i wish it was that simple yes. for me for some women it is for some women they're like Lucky. oh yeah i can come multiple times and i'm like eh, no it's work yeah it takes way work. too much work um, it's exhausting but so that that was a huge thing that happened in the you know sexual rev- part of the sexual revolution that came out of women's liberation. Yeah, that sexual satisfaction. Yeah, and well, then, in in 1969, Katie Millett wrote Sexual Politics. Oh yeah, yeah, and wrote about the patriarchal structure of society that controls sex, sexual expression, and ultimately politics and the narrative of political discourse. Sex and gender oppression are common because of political discourse found in society. And Millett's argued that before any other type of oppression existed, elite men first oppressed people based on their sex and gender extending later to race and class yeah um i mean yes i would argue that the discrimination Uh, about uh, against race and class has has, been there forever yeah but i think she's saying but if i like if we were to go back to like adam and eve to oh, me, sure. that's like a sex sure. issue. So yeah, if yeah. we're looking at it that way of so, like the first men and women, if I feel we're like talking maybe... about men and women in societies where there isn't a lot of um, like racial differences, yeah, there will always be. And actually, that leads me to the final thing that I kind of wanted to talk Yay! about before you talked about I that. I totally planned it. Is <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Roxanne Dunbar. Roxanne. And how she was basically saying that she grew up really poor, like poor sharecroppers in Oklahoma. And she attributed all of the discrimination that she faced to being poor. Like she thought it was a class issue. Yeah. But then she managed to like get an education and work her way up. And she was at graduate school. And I don't know where she was going to graduate school, a big school. And her first day, she was approached by a young male professor who said to her if you don't fuck me i'll fuck you so basically being like if you don't have sex my vagina did the thing again (laughs) um yeah basically being like if you don't have sex with me then i will make yeah i'll fail you yeah so that's a guilt that's a golden girls episode too Oh, really? Yeah, there's an episode where Blanche, where Blanche goes back to school, and this guy is basically like, I'm not going to give you the grades you deserve mm-hmm. unless you have sex with me, and she like stands up for herself. And So that was when... Girls. Oh, I freaking do, too. Um, that was when Roxanne Dunbar kind of realized, like, it's not just a class issue. Like, class is part of it, but really, it's my gender. And we saw this yeah. with Shirley Chisholm, like, her gender... Because people, men of all races and classes are sexist. Yeah. Um... And so she left school, like she left graduate school and quickly like started joining feminist organizations and she became a radical feminist. And I love this quote by her. It says, I am a revolutionary. I am a feminist. There is no possibility for me to be liberated except that all women be liberated. And that means power and control on a political economic level. Having had nothing, I will not settle for crumbs. Love it. She's freaking 
I you just will not that's settling for crumbs. But I mean, because you're poor. No, like, I love you come it. From yeah. like a, you come from a very poor background, and you know, you're basically saying, like, look, man, I've done it. Like, I've yeah. been through the hardship, and like, I'm not gonna settle for that anymore. Like, I know yeah. my worth, and I'm gonna fight for my freedom and the freedom of all other women. So I yeah. think that's fantastic. Me too. Uh, let's talk about some prominent feminists in the second wave. All right. This first one is more first wave, but she goes into the second wave. So I'm going to mention her, the wonderful Eleanor Roosevelt. Yes. Uh, she was working with the Women's Trade Union League and the International Congress of Working Women. And from 1935 to 62, so getting into second wave, yeah. she wrote My Day, a newspaper column that addressed women's work, equality, and rights. Um, she was great. There's an, uh, There was a video that I watched on... BuzzFeed, where they were, like, trying to figure out if Eleanor Roosevelt was gay or bi. There's a lot of people I've that believe that, that she too, is. I've heard that, too, but then I also wonder if... I'd have to look into it more, because then yeah. I, do, I do wonder if it's... Because that was a common thing that people would say about feminists. Yeah. Like, that they, like... Um, but they also said that she had, like, a like a female relationship that was that, very that's close possible. in their letters and things like that. So because I, I believe that she had a very strong, like, intellectual, emotional relationship with her husband. Yeah. But, um... But maybe there was something else in her that... Mm-hmm. Like, she... I mean, their love, like, they, there's book, you know, movies made oh, yeah. about their... Like, they loved each other, but... Yeah. As we talked about with Audre Lorde... Love and sex don't necessarily... Don't always go together. Mm -hmm. Um, The second woman I'm going to talk to you about is Rosie the Riveter. The real Rosie the Riveter was Naomi Parker Fraley, and she just just recently passed away. And I meant to mention that. Yeah, well, we love you. Um... She was representing the women who worked through World War II. The empowering female symbol still remains an icon to this day, reminding us of the incredible female efforts during the 40s. Did you... um... (laughs) It's such a weird thing for me to mention, but I'm going to, because why not? Why? Um, <laughs> I, I, I dressed up as Rosie. My friend has birthday parties every year, and his birthday's in May, and he always has a costume He has party. a birthday every year? What? Well, but That's he's crazy. Birthday, no, he has I'm birthday parties every year. <laughs> okay. And he always has costume parties. Yeah. And one year, it, and it's always something else. Like, this uh-huh. last one was, like, dress how, how you were in high school or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one was um, dressed as, like, someone you admire. And yeah. I went as Rosie Riveter. And I took a picture, uh-huh. and I posted it on my Instagram, and it got picked up by, like, several different BuzzFeed articles. Yes, I remember sending that to you, being like, you're on BuzzFeed. Yeah, and it got, like, shared a bunch, and um, so, like, I'm just like, I, I freaking love Rosie Riveter, and then my parents this year, this was a big, I don't think I talked about this, but, like, my family, as we've discussed, are not, like, super, super pro-feminism, but... I was so... It almost made me cry this year because they got me a feminist book. Uh-huh. And then they got me a Rosie the Riveter mug that was, like, yes. my podcasting mug for a while. Yeah. So, like, they, they really, like, embraced that. Like, so good. I went as Rosie the Riveter for Halloween a couple times. And the first time I went Your shirt was, right now kind of works. I am kind of Rosie right now. Um, the first time I did it was when I was like 19 or 20 and no one knew who I was what it was crazy how I don't know maybe it was just the group I was with and I kept showing my muscles and they were like no and then I would say Rosie well I would say I'm Rosie the Riveter and then they wouldn't know what I was talking about and then I would say you know the girl who shows we can do it yeah and then they'd be like oh her yeah but they didn't like connect the dots yeah no I have a picture it was actually it was when I was in it was when I was in treatment actually send me that picture and then we will post yours and mine yeah. to our um, and then I think I was I think I was her again the next year. 
think my Instagram kept getting hacked by like porn accounts. What? So I think that, yes, I had to get a new Instagram like a year ago because they kept hacking into my account and making it like I couldn't get into it. And it was just busty ladies. <laughs> you know, totally me. Look just like me. Um, okay. We talked about Bready for Dan. Be- Bready? What did I just say? Bready Freeman. <laughs> uh, Betty for Dan. Um, so we're, we're going to, you know, we are talked about her. Glorious Dynam. I wish we Gloria. covered more Glorious Dynam, but there's We could do a whole thing about her. Second um, my car's name is Gloria. Nice. Just a snippet of my Madigan. My car info. doesn't have a name. My car was the Jolly Roger, but doesn't feel it's. I have a huge ass feminist bumper sticker on the back, and then I have so another it's Gloria. Yeah, it's Gloria. I also have a large free the fart sticker on the back of my. Uh. <laughs> Chris gave me that one. I love it. Um, she is referred to as the mother of feminism, and she's the co-founder of the feminist-themed Miss Magazine and several female groups that changed the face of feminism, including Women's Action Alliance, Women's National Women's Political Caucus, Women's Media Center, and more. Um, National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993, and in 2013, she was honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and she's very known for her article, A Bunny's mm-hmm. Tale, from 1963. Which, if you never read it, it's freaking great. And yeah. here's the thing, man. Like, I know people who knew Hugh Hefner and, and all that, and, like, we're very sad of his passing, and I get it, because you, you had a good relationship with him, but... And I understand, like, it was, like, a big thing for women, sexual revolution, like, freedom, blah, 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 whatever. But he was a piece of shit. And sorry. it was all Not for the, sorry. it was all for the male gaze. Like, yeah. all that was for the male gaze, you didn't treat women who were in your employ there was, but there well. Was, and there was nothing for women. You know what I mean? Like, none of the images or anything that were in it, like, were it, anything it that was, women could It, it was enjoy. all from, I mean, I, I understand people who argue the opposite point, and I understand that he may have been a perfectly pleasant person in I life. I don't see that, but okay. Well, no, because I knew people who knew him, and, like, I get that, and I get being sad about someone who you know having passed. Yeah. But when you read that article, you're just like, that's fucked up. Well, then um, there was a couple other former bunnies who have written books and stuff where you're just kind of like... And that's, and that's the thing. Situation. Well, this is something that I say a lot. Nice is different than good. Yes. I quote into the yes. woods all yes. the time. That's true. Nice is different than good. You can have he a very a nice pleasant, guy. nice person. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he's a good person. Yeah. Um, next up is Barbara Walters. Not only was Walters the first female co-host of a news show, she also became the first female co-anchor of an evening news broadcast for ABC News. And Walters really paved the way for not only women in journalism, but women for the entire workforce. She was very inspirational for people. Next up is Coretta Scott King. Uh, she's very known for being married to Martin Luther King Jr. But yeah, but we still can't forget, can't yeah. forget that she is her own woman. She helped found NOW, um, the National Organization for Women, as we said, in 1966, and played a key role in the organization's development. And she was also notably the first woman to deliver the class uh, the class day address at Harvard. So oh, wow. A, That's a big deal. She was a trailblazer. Um, Maya Angelou, which I always thought was Maya Angelou, but I guess it's Angelou. It is Angelou, but I've heard it pronounced both ways. It's kind of like... Can I mention Nia from Dance Moms again? (laughs) Yeah. She does a really great, like, spoken word dance about Maya Angelou, so it's like... uh, To Instill I Rise? No, she does, um... It's, it's like just drum beats basically and she's dancing and then she says 
Maya, she actually herself speaks Maya Angelou quotes as she goes on. So like she stops. Maya she's Angelou doing. is so inspirational to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like in the show. So she's like never won a title before. And in the show, that was like her first like big win and whatever. I love you, Nia. Um, through her literature and public speaking and powerful writing, Maya Angelou inspired both women and African-Americans to overcome gender and race discrimination. In 2011, Angelou was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom for her works that spanned over 50 years including 36 books, seven autobiographies, and over 50 honorary degrees, which is oh, yeah. bonkers. Yeah, it's a 50? bonkers number. Yo, nuts. Um, Audrey Lord, we had a whole episode where I talked yeah, about Yeah, backtrack. Backtrack. Listen, go back. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> Love you, but no. Uh, Ruth, I'm going to say this wrong. Bader. Bader, or I always say Bader. Yeah, Bader. Bader. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Lover. Bader Ginsburg co-founded the Women's Rights Law Reporter in 1970, the first U.S. law journal to focus exclusively on women's rights, co-founded the Women's Rights Project at the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, once again making sure women's voices were heard in law. And appointed by President Bill Clinton in 1993, Bader Ginsburg became the second female Supreme Court justice ever, a position she, she still holds today and uses to advocate for women's rights. And there is a documentary coming out about her later that looks later this year in May that looks freaking amazing and I think before it comes out maybe we can do like a joint book report episode on that'll be fun because she's she's incredible yeah Yoko Ono someone who in my life has I've had a lot of um ups and downs I mean not personally with her but well I feel like she got a lot of shit like she she, that that is another it's it's another example of how women so often are blamed for the decisions of the men in their lives yeah it's like you can't blame Yoko. She broke up the Beatles. Yeah, you can dislike her for all, all manner of reasons, but you can't blame her for that shit. Like, John Lennon is his own man, and he made yeah, his own decisions. exactly. So. Um, in her 1972 essay, The Feminization of Society Helped Mark the Female Revolution of the 70s. And she really, I mean, John Lennon, if you read about him, was a problematic fucker. Oh, hell yeah. He was incredibly abusive to yes. his first wife. Yes. He completely abandoned he cheated his on first son. Her. Oh, yeah. He even says there's a song. Um, Norwegian Wood. I, and, the, and he says, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and put, and set her apart from the things that she loved. Man, I was mean, but I'm changing my scene and I'm doing the best that I can. No, um, man. And so, Look, like. And I, as someone who was just like, I fucking loved John Lennon. Me too. I, I didn't know. I went through a senior, my senior year of high school, I went through like a huge like let me read all the books about John Lennon things yeah. and then I had a t-shirt which I can also post it's very my spacey selfie yeah. where I'm doing one of these uh, really hello sorry you can't see that it's kind of like had open mouth duck lips open mouth duck lips with the camera way up high yeah. and like real thick eyeliner yep. and a John Lennon t-shirt sounds like me yeah um and then I would like put on my Hollister sweatpants and go out. And I didn't shop at Hollister, oh, Hollister. or Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh, I did in my defense. <laughs> um, and we're gonna talk more about basic stuff next week. Or um, <laughs> not next week, but beginning of April. You know what I'm talking about. I do. Um, and yeah, so she she changed John Lennon a lot. Without her, I think he would still be a piece of shit till yeah. the day he died. Um, next up is Alice Walker, a critical voice for black women in the yeah. feminist movement. The writer and activist was involved in the civil rights movement alongside Dr. Martin Luther King before joining Gloria Steinem as an editor for Miss Magazine. Walker's most famous work, The Color Purple, became uh, vital, I almost said viral, <laughs> in telling the story of black women. That too, kind of. Yeah. And uh, later was adapted into both a movie and a Broadway musical. Yes, and the musical, oh my god. I need to see it. Well, it. you should. they revived it and um, Cynthia, what's her name? I can't remember her last name, but 
she was leading it and she sang at the Tonys. She won a Tony, I think, a yeah, couple years I ago. Yeah, I remember that. And it is so moving. Oh, my God, my heart. Nia also danced to The Color Purple. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> Literally anything to do with, like, black culture, Nia. Nia danced to it. Um... Da, 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 da. Walker co-founded Wild Tree Press, a feminist publishing company. In 1983, she was the first to coin the term womanism, which sought to include black women in feminism. And lastly, this is kind of getting into third wave feminism, kind of on the cusp. Clinton is the only Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Clinton is the only first lady to ever run for public office, serving as the first ever female senator for New York, Secretary of State under President Obama. It still hurts. I know, and and as first ever female candidate of the 2016 presidential election. <laughs> I know. Since this, I got you, girl. Got a wine cry. Right I know. Now. Since the 1970s, Clinton has furthered the advancement of women through her various work, from becoming the first female chair of Legal Services Corporation in 1978 to delivering her famous Women's Rights or Human's Rights speech yeah. in 1995. Um, yeah. Look, Hillary's problematic, too. I was just going to say, I still have a really... Uh, that's a hard pill for me to swallow is Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Is, Hillary is problematic, but can you just imagine our life right now? Oh! In office? Would we have this podcast? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we maybe we should write Trump a thank you card. Like, thanks for pissing no. us off so much. That this is where we are now. Yeah. Once we once we like start getting paid for this, then we'll do it. Yeah, that's be true. like thanks for the money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. Well, that's all we got. That's all we got right <laughs> and now. And we did go on a little long, but I hope that this too was, bad and cut it down. And I think we had some really good like conversations in here. Yeah. And um. So I hope you guys enjoyed. When we went off track this time, it was like relevant. It I was feel good like. off track. Yeah. So good job, Keegan and Matt. Yes. High five. Woo. Yeah. yeah. But uh, we will be hitting you up. Or actually, hold on. I want to mention this real quick. Madigan and I have been in conversation with a group called uh, Is it Wombian or Woman? I've been saying Wombian, it's but it's probably it's spelled Womb. Yes. Yin. Yes. And they are um, this incredible group of like women supporting women like what we're all about inspiring women um we'll definitely give a more in-depth we'll have a more in-depth conversation about it yeah. but we have been in talks with them to collaborate with them and and we are featured artists on their page and so definitely check them out it's it's all about like women artists it's yeah. it's musicians it's artists yeah. it's um didn't that make you feel super special that they reached out to us yes it did it made me feel all of the good things. All inside. the warm and fuzzies. And, and like, I got and I got that message while I was in Black Panther, which made oh, it all, all the better. And it just made me feel like I'm so proud to be mentioned among these other women who are so freaking great. Like if you yeah. go on their website, it's just like per like girl after girl who are like killing the game. You yeah, know, like exactly. musicians and, and artists. To be, and, and to be recognized for the thing that I try so hard to to be, which is a woman who supports other women and yeah. especially in the arts, to be so, recognized as that was really great for yeah. me. Yeah. So definitely check them out. We'll put the link to their website in our show notes, but it's Wombian W-O-M-B-Y-I-N dot com. And I'm sure we'll be talking about them a lot more going forward. Yeah. But we wanted we know this episode is coming out soon, so we just wanted to like give them a quick shout out. Gotta throw it out there. Um and we'll definitely do a more in-depth conversation when we have an episode that didn't go on quite so long. Definitely. <laughs> About what they are and who yes. they are. And we could even touch for. on it in like a mini episode. Yeah, too, yeah. So. Maybe our next mini episode will have a little bit of a touch on it. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, we encourage you to, to rage on. on. We'll get that eventually. We kind of did it. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.